Hey, Alan Christina here from Vic42. We just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of our patrons, everyone who's supporting this project financially. It couldn't be done without you. As you know, our goal is to build a community of people that want to value, inspire, and celebrate humans. And that's exactly what we're doing through this project. So thank you for your support. And if you haven't supported it, please get on board and become a patron and make this happen. We want to grow this project massively over the next few years. Thank you so much to everyone. Again, especially Sam at 2% Jazz, you've been amazing. You were our first big patron in, and we thank you so much for your help. Now we want to tell you a little bit about who our next feature is. Our feature today is Deb Reimer. She is the heart of the blues community, and we found her so inspiring because of all of the time that she's put in over the years to creating communities in all different areas of her life. Absolutely. So buckle down, enjoy this. This is Deb Reimer. Have you been in Victoria forever? Like I was born here. Really? Yeah, I'm one of the rare people who was actually born here. Were you? Yeah. Oh. There you go. I moved here when I was two. Does that count? Yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> no, pretty young. From Vancouver. Sorry, it doesn't count. From Vancouver. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Not fair. Yeah, no, I was born here. So I was born out in Belmont Park in the Naval Housing. What? Um, in Langford area. And uh, yeah, I've lived here my whole life, other than I was in Winnipeg for a few years when my dad got transferred. Hmm. I've been here the whole time. Awesome. Went to school here. Where'd you graduate from, high school? Uh, it's now called Spectrum. Oh yeah. yeah. Elementary school. Okay. Yeah, it's, um, it was Mount View and then they built the new school. And I graduated from the first graduating class of Spectrum, but it wasn't at the new school. It was at the old school, which is now torn down on Cary Road. Got it. So, yeah, many, many years ago. It's amazing how many things have changed. When we're interviewing people, they're like, oh, it did this in this spot, but now it's this. Well, before that, it was actually this. So it went from this to this. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like this club or something. Yeah. It's like, it's like a whole, it's funny to hear how the city changes in everyone's life. Yeah. Yeah. So... Did you, so you spent, how long were you in Winnipeg for? Uh, just a couple of years. Ah, My dad was transferred. I don't know why the Navy you'd end up in Winnipeg, but <laughs> we did. And we were just there a couple of years, moved back here when I was in, so I was there for kindergarten, grade one and grade two. Mm. Halfway through grade two, we moved back here. Mm. And I had to jump into school here at halfway through the school year. Like, you know, that's fun that is for kids, but yeah. that's what I did. And I've been here ever since. Wow. Okay, yeah. so I, when did music start? Like, how did you, where, where did that trickle into your life? Well, I always, I always sang. I always liked to sing. But I used to do it when everybody would leave my, my house, my parents. And the only thing I had was my parents' records. So I did all the show tunes, you know. I was like, Sound of Music, Oklahoma, you know. And I'd wait till everyone leave, and I'd learn all these songs, you know. And I would sing them, and I always wanted to do it, right? And when I was a little kid, I used to, charge money, I hate to say it, for people to come up on my sun deck. I had a sun deck on the side of the house. Come up the top of the stairs, I charged 30 cents. And I was taking ballet at the time. And there was these two twins that lived across the street. And I thought, well, I'll have a twin on each side and I'll be in the middle, right? I was doing it way back then. And how old were you then? Oh, I was 10. <laughs> yeah, I was 10 and I was like, so we're gonna charge, you know, we'd make the neighbors come and charge them 30 cents and we would do a couple of numbers from, you know, Swan Lake, a couple of ballet numbers, and then I remember we would do Four Strong Winds, and we'd sing, and we'd, you know, do all these stupid little shows, and and that's kind of, you know, where it started. And, and then, in, like, you know, when I was in uh, elementary school, they took all the kids and they'd stand them next to the piano, and 
see how many octaves they had and whether you could sing in tune. And, and then the high school, the teacher said to me, you're going to sing, we're going to do leaving on a jet plane in front of the whole school. And you're going to sing the, the last line, you know, nice. and by yourself, everyone's going to sing the whole song. And then you're going to sing that, Oh babe, I hate to go line all by yourself. And I was like, ah, but that kind of, that kind of kicked it off. And, um, probably about, uh, Oh, I'm going to date myself, I guess, 1977. Um, Don Peterson and other people in town here. We were all kids. And on Fort Street, up above where Dots Fashions is, there were rehearsal studios. And kids could um, rent rehearsal space to rehearse their bands. And there'd be like five rooms. And we each band had a room. And we would rehearse our bands. And I had a band... Back then, it was a rock band called Hostage. And Don and I played together that long ago. That's how long we've been friends. And so it was a rock band. So I did the rock band thing kind of right out of high school. And um, and then that just, you know, I did a little bit of, you know, playing here and there. And then I kind of got out of it, you know, and I got married and, you know, all those things. And I kind of got out of it for a while. And I didn't really get into the blues until 1997. And in 1997, um, these guys came to me and they said, you know, we think you can sing the blues. And I said, well, I don't know the blues. Like, and they, so they gave me a few albums and said, learn this, you know, learn this stuff and whatever. So I did. And I started singing the blues, you know, in the, and, and had my own first blues band experience um wasn't my band it was a different name um Do you back then what those were? uh which like that the songs that we did oh it was uh oh yeah it was marsh marcia ball and luann barton like the real you know um uh, angela straley like people who've been in the blues in the austin music scene in the texas music scene way back then so that's why i did i'd sing those kind of songs and there was a blues jam at Herman's on a Tuesday night, Bluesy Tuesday, and I used to phone them up because I didn't know you'd just go down and sign up, and I'd call them up, and I'd say, I'm coming to sing, and they'd be, okay, Deb, that's good, you know, come sing, you know. And I sang Stormy Monday until everyone got quite sick of it, till I got another song, right? But, uh, and that's how it started, and I went to uh, New Orleans, in 19, early 1998, and I um, went right from New Orleans up to Memphis, right through the Delta and all the whole blues thing. And that really changed my life because I realized the importance of blues and what it meant in the history. And all of a sudden, having not really cared about blues, all of a sudden I cared about it a lot, you know. And so that's kind of where it started and I never really stopped. And so that band that gave you all the records and you joined, where did you go after that? Like, did you just, like, band-wise? Um, we just did, you know, different uh, blues blues things. It was, the band was called No Fixed Address. You know, it was a typical, uh, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, we just did blues songs. We didn't do too much. And, um, and it wasn't for a few years that finally... Band members change, everybody breaks up, and then you got to throw the name away and you got to start all over again, right? And what happened was um, someone said to me, you know, if you 
have your own name as the band, then you're the only one that has to show up. So I thought, I took that to heart and um, I decided that uh, I would just start the Deb Reimer band. And I, I can't even tell you what year that was now, but the beginning of the 2000s, I guess. Nice. So then I just thought, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do my own thing and that way only I have to show up. So. Have you ever had a gig where only you showed up? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. No, no thankfully. So was it that trip that made you decide that it was blues that you really wanted? It was pretty well, yeah. I knew that, I knew it was really going to be important to me, you know, and, um, and it was something new and so it was exciting. I liked rock music. I, I, I was the one who always got stuck seeing like Blondie and Led Zeppelin and all these things and I liked it. I really did. But the blues was a new thing and I, I, I didn't do it by choice, you know, it just kind of came to me, you know. So, yeah, it was, it was good, so. And then after that, I really never looked back. I just kept singing blues and, and uh, until I started my duo, and then I got back into rock and pop and all those things, you know. That's awesome. You know, so that was fun. And so when did, so... How did that lead you into the blues jam? So that's, this is a fun thing in Victoria. This happens all the time. You've been a part of it for how long now? Yeah, so the blues jam, I've been hosting the blues jam. I, I tried to calculate it. Andy, our drummer, knows the exact hmm. date, but I want to say we've been doing it like 17 or 18 years. Like it's been a while. It's been a long time. And someone else was doing the jam at a, at a bar on the gorge and um, they quit. And so we grabbed it and kind of, you know, have been doing it ever since. And it's gone to many places. It's been, it was at the Strathcona Hotel for a long time. It was at Tally Hole for a long time. It was, you know, at the Red Lion and now Herman's. So it's been a long time. Herman's feels like a good home for it, though. You know, it does. Means? Like compared to all the other ones, it just feels like a good home. For yeah, it. Herman's is a great home for music. Period, and the people at Herman's are great. So, yeah. it was a great move, I think, for us to go to go there, and um, you know, we're really happy to be there. That's for sure. It's funny that it's gone back from you singing your one song at the jam, yeah, to running the jam. Yeah, there. yeah. It's it's funny how that that went. But, you know, obviously I met a lot of people along the way and I put out uh, sort of our first album as a band in 2005 and, um, and then I didn't do another one until 2018, I guess. That's so a long, long break in between. Yeah. Well, you were busy. It's not I was busy. I had a whole career. I had a whole <laughs> career and that was part of the problem is I had a really mostly a uh, heavy-duty day job so that I didn't have time. I was working really hard. Yeah. And I was a single mom and I was, you know, I, you know, I wasn't going out every night, you know, and it's hard to get childcare and different things like that. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So eventually, you know, I just sort of worked through those things and, and then, um, when we did our second album, I was, I started to record a couple songs and then David Vest, who you all know, said to me, you know what, it would be a game changer if you would write 
the music. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know about that, if I can do it and everything. And he said, well, I think you could. So give it a go. So the project went from, you know, the short project to... <laughs> and I ended up uh, writing or co-writing half a dozen songs on the album. So that changed everything because then all of a sudden it's original music, right? So. And how, how did that feel for you when you were done? Like when you were like, okay, I did that. How did it like? Well, it was really, stuff? felt really good. And I realized that that's what I should have been doing all along. Yeah. And you've done 20 albums since then, right? No way. <laughs> I wish. I wish. No. Just that one. And I'm not even sure, you know, where I'm going after that. But, but that uh, one did very well. Yes, it did. Yeah, it did very well. Yeah. So we're happy about that. What was your favorite song that you wrote of that, out of the five or six you wrote on that one? Well, there was only one that I wrote everything myself, where I wrote the music and the um, the music and the lyrics, and that's a song called "There's the Door." And uh, I've always liked that kind of, kind of blues. Oh, I have to talk for a second. That's okay. No, no. Okay. We're all right. <coughs> You'll edit what you need to. Sometimes. Or we just let it run. Doesn't oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so um, it was that kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, female blues songs. I, I'm attracted to those. I do a lot of those kind of songs, even if they're not my songs. Yeah. I really like that, you know, because I can relate to it, right? We, yeah. we sing about what we can relate relate to, and I thought that was was a good one. So that was that was the song probably that uh, because I wrote both halves, you know, yeah. um, it meant a lot to me and it was uh, autobiographical, you know. <laughs> about, Let's go back and to yeah. Let's <laughs> listen carefully. I always yeah. say when I do it live, I say the names have been changed to protect the innocent, and that's about it. <laughs> Not so innocent, but I was going to uh, say, are they, were they really innocent? They weren't very innocent. No, they weren't. But uh, so that's how that happened. And then I had some wonderful co-writers like Bill Johnson and uh, my band co-wrote on one. And Victor Wells, who I do a, a duo with, uh, I found that he was, I was able to just shoot lyrics to him and he could put wonderful music to it. And we've kind of been doing that ever since. Um, so that's, that's kind of how that went. Yeah, and so you're you had a career on the side of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. So you were doing music, you were running the blues jam, and you yeah. still had a career on the side, mm -hmm. which I think is is fairly normal. Like we, I talk a lot about how uh, even like even as an entrepreneur or anything, you still when you're starting something, you need to be self funded. Yeah. Right, and there's the, there's no way around that. That's right. If you right. want to really do something, you have to do it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of musicians we talk to who are even like photographers and like any creative, they're working a job and then putting hours into their stuff on the side. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most inspiring things I think about creatives is that deep desire to keep going. Yeah. And the and of hours that yeah. it takes to do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had some time, as I say, I, um, you know, so, but the career was, you know, it was, it was pretty heavy duty at different times. They had a number of different roles, but they were all, um, very busy. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of work, um, in community-based projects. So, um, way back when I was in the federal government, we had a lot of money and we could just, you know, I wish I was still there because now I'd know exactly what to do with it. But 
So if we saw something in the community, we could fund it and it would be job creation projects around a project. So if you look at the extension on the Belfry Theatre, that's something that we did. We did the first needle exchange program in Victoria. We did the first, you know, um, AIDS Vancouver Island, you know, project and whatever. So we were really cutting edge back then. And um, that was the happiest times in my career was doing that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got involved in community stuff, right? Because I could really see the benefit of, you know, we could do these community-based projects. And it was good for the people on the projects because it gave them skills and they often got jobs and went back to work. And so I had sort of two paths in my career. I either worked in childcare, meaning daycare. I built daycare centers. I funded daycare centers. I, you know, and I did it in my private life. I, I got involved in building an out-of-school care program at my daughter's school and and um, and job creation. I was always in job creation side, federally and provincially, and I kind of jumped back and forth and and was there for, when I added all up, I was there for 35 years. Wow. Yeah. Until so I so what should you be doing longer, singing or that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Singing in the shower. <laughs> and making people pay for it on the sun deck, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, singing and, you know, uh, always on the side. It was always my love, yeah. but it was secret. There was my music life and it never crossed over into my work life. There's people in my work life who would be absolutely shocked yeah. that I played music. And there's people on the music side that would say, you really have two brains to rub together and you can, you know. Yeah. Um, so at the very end, um, the last sort of 15 years of my 35 years, I was a director, so I was pretty senior and I did a lot of, you know, bigger projects and that. And, and because I had started when I was a baby, mm -hmm. when I, you know, turned 55 dating myself here, I could retire, you know, I could just, I'd done my time, you know, mm -hmm. so. And then I went, well, I think maybe I'll play some music more and I'll do a lot more music and I'll right, and I'll do an album, and I'll, you know, that's when all that happened is because I thought now is my chance, you know, yeah. I can do what I want to do when I couldn't, when I had to make a living. Do you think there was a distinction between um, your your work life and your, you said the two life didn't really know each other. Never. Right? And I, I remember I grew up as an entrepreneur and a photographer. Yeah. And so my two worlds didn't know the other existed. So I, I totally understand. Yeah. But, and I think back then that was... It was. It wasn't as acceptable to be doing massive extracurricular activities that were also kind of businessy or creative. Yeah. Because I found that like business people were like, "What do you mean you're creative? Are you a loser creative?" Yeah. <laughs> the creative people were like, "What do you mean you do business? You must not be a creative." Like there was like these arguments, yeah. like these opposing forces between creative and business. Right? Yeah. To with dance that if people thought you had a day job it must mean that you're not successful at yeah. whatever you're trying to do creative absolutely yeah absolutely yeah no i definitely found that 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 was the case um the only time it overlapped was and i'd have to think of the year i think it was like in the 2000s there was a woman in the public service and she wanted to do a show called pop stars and it was where people impersonate pop stars. And we did it to raise money for the community services fund. And we did it for a number of years. And we raised, I don't know, I, I, I wish I could ask her the grand total, but like tens of thousands of dollars 
for the community services fund which went to everything in Victoria and we did this show called Pop Stars. It started out kind of small. It was at St. Anne's. Then it went to um, the McPherson and then it went to the Royal Theatre and the Royal Theatre actually hired pop stars to do their fundraiser because it was so wow. popular. So I um, impersonated um, Bette Midler <laughs> and uh, which who I loved, my loved my whole life. So it was easy to do because I knew all her music and Bonnie Raitt. So those were my two, you know, and there's videos of it and we've got all that kind of stuff that's still out there, but we raised a lot of money and um, and so that's kind of where the two intersected was in shows like that that I get involved to to raise money and that's when I think I really started getting involved in raising money for other things right so um, I think now to the um, it's becoming more acceptable for you to be able to do multiple things yes right and, yeah. and more acceptable to be able to to have very opposing abilities yes right um so i think it would be interesting to hear for you did your music and the creative side help you in your business in the, in the, the career side mm. and did the career side help you on the music side was there benefit to that for you? Mm, that's a tough one if, if anything probably the music part made me more sensitive to different social issues, I guess, because I was always working in social programs of one type or another, especially on the job creation side, because we'd always deal with people with multiple barriers. And so I think the music, you know, um, you know, there's so many different characters and people in, in music. I think it made me more sensitive to the differences that people have, mm. you know, and um, that's probably the biggest um, overlap. And then, as I say, I found that, oh, there's we do music we can raise money and uh so that was the other big one and 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 it was good for um teamwork and that i used to always have my staff we'd do little skits and all that i was always the one that was pushing for that you know and so every one of the people who worked for me will remember oh yeah she made us you know <laughs> they all dress up in garbage bags and i would and, um the federal government, there was a guy named Jake, and we had a band called Jake, the Snake, and the Snakeettes. And I was a fabulous snakeette. And we wore, like, literally garbage bags, and we danced around. And, you know, we did it for fun. And I, 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 I can remember throughout all the different jobs I've had, I've, I've always seemed to bring it there. Mm -hmm. That's what we did for our party or for, you know, we would write uh, songs uh, making fun of the government. <laughs> <laughs> So you're still really involved in community fundraising and community projects. Yes. Tell us more about what you've got going on. Oh. You seem like you always have so much going on. I know. It does seem like that. Um, well, um, you know, after the pop stars, we raised, you know, a lot of money uh, with that. And then I just thought, what else, you know, can we do? And a few years ago, we decided that I thought it would be nice to have a, an all-women's event and um, to support women serving organizations and through all my employment programs work I met all these agencies Transition House, the Sexual Assault Center, I knew them all intimately, I funded them for years and um, so I thought I'd like to support some of those agencies 
And um, I have to give credit to B.J. Cook. I don't know if you know B.J. Cook. So B.J. Cook is, uh, there's a, a band that came out of Victoria called Skylark. And it included David Foster, the David Foster. And that was her husband at that time. And um, she was an amazing singer who sang with, with uh, uh, Skylark, a very celebrated band. And she also uh, sang with Ronnie Hawkins. She was a Hawkat and everything. And she used to get some of the women in town together who sang like myself and a few others together. And she'd say, I'm going to call a meeting of the bitches. <laughs> and um, so anyway, it got bigger and bigger, you know, and other people wanted to come and that. And then one day she said, you know, this isn't just a meeting of the bitches. This is a bitch fest. It's a festival like of the bitches, right? So... Anyway, so Bitch Fest. So that's kind of how it started. In the very first year, we decided to have a, a Bitch Fest, even though it was a bit controversial. And uh, we thought we'll just have one night of just dancing and fun and drinking and carrying on and entertainment. And we'll get the, all the women singers we know to get up and sing. And we'll have all this, you know, and we'll raise money. And we'll put it back into the community, into these women-serving organizations. So that's kind of how it started. And the first one was, you know, small, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And and uh, we've had a little break because of um, COVID, but we want to get back into it and raise some more money. The the um, type of organizations that have benefited from it have been like the uh, Victoria Women's Transition House, the Victoria Sexual Assault Center. And the most recent was one was that we um, fundraised for the first female recovery house in Victoria. Mm -hmm. So that was really near and dear to me because I thought that's something we've never had. That's something really current. The drug issue is really significant and we need to support it. So um, that was the last one that we did. And, uh, you know, we've raised uh, a lot of money over the last few years for that. And we've had a whole lot of fun doing it. Christina will know. And we plan to do it again and we're going to have Christina do her dancing and all that. And it's just amazing and women just really enjoy it. We never let the uh, the uh, the other sex in or anything. We just said, nope, we're going to have it. We're going to stick with women and uh, just have an event where we can really cut loose and have a real night of fun and food and dancing and everything and then turn it all back into the community so it's been great you're you're still doing these things in the community so are there other things in the community you're still involved in like how are you well i'm on the i'm the chair of the victoria blues society so i went on a blues cruise in 2006 and while i was on the blues cruise there was a lot of people uh there was a meeting of all the blues cruise or blue societies in all over the states in Canada. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have our own dedicated blue society here. Mm -hmm. So I was on the ship and there was another wonderful blues fan named Sandy Plews. And her and I, one night, you know, after a few drinks, we toasted and we said, when we get home, we're gonna, we're gonna start a blue society. We're gonna have a meeting and whatever. And Dave Harris was at that very first meeting. And in January of 2007, we started the Blues Society. And so, you know, that's been a labor of love ever since. Right. So, What's the focus of the Blues Society? So the Blues Society is really just to have, to appreciate the blues, to um, 
have put on blue shows. Um, we used to do education and training workshops around the blues and things like that. Just all appreciation and love of the blues. And so um, we've been going for many years. We have a strong board. We do, you know, uh, we were doing lots of shows, not as many now, but... Um, but I see they're coming back. They're coming back. We're coming back. We usually do shows um, all throughout the year and then take the summer off because it's festival season. It gets, you know, uh, too hard to get volunteers, too hard to, you know. Um, but we do shows throughout the year. And we try and do a combination of touring artists and supporting great Canadian artists. Like we've got Big Dave McLean, who's a big Juno award-winning blues guy coming in April, along with uh, Tim Williams and Kevin Belsner. We try and do that sort of touring musicians, but also local. So we'll have our little blues stravaganza events, and it'll support all the local bands. And Victoria has always had a huge blues community. I don't know why. Bigger than Vancouver in some ways. Really? Yeah, it really is. It's been for a long, long time. And there always was a blues jam in town and all of that. So um, so that's what we do. And we still do. We put on shows throughout the year and, uh, you know, uh, hopefully uh, introduce people to the blues and support the blues and, and all of that. So... And then most recently I got involved with, when, with Herman's. Yeah. <laughs> So when we ended up at Herman's, um, at Herman's is a, an institution, of yeah. course. It's an iconic venue. And they were kind enough to come to us and say, where's the blues community? We hear you've lost your venue. Where, where's, where are you going to be? You know? And I said, I don't know. I don't know where we're going to be. And they kindly said, well, why don't you come here? And we'd like to have the blues here. And it goes great with jazz. And, so as of August of last year, we moved and uh, the Blues Jam to Herman's and we also moved all our blue shows to Herman's. So we've been working in partnership with them. And um, this brand new venue at uh, upstairs of Herman's is such a beautiful place, mm -hmm. but it's missing an elevator. It really needs an elevator to be truly accessible to people with disabilities and mobility issues and that. And so I approached them and said, I really want to, I want to get you an elevator. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of experience in grant funding and getting, you know, money. And so how about I work on getting an elevator? And um, they said, yeah, that would be great. And I've started that whole thing now. But then they said, well, what about if you were on the board? Then it would be a lot easier. <laughs> like we got her. <laughs> yeah, we got her. In. Yeah. So would you like to, would you join the board? I was kind of, I hummed and hawed a bit. And then finally, I started out the beginning of the meeting. It was a coffee meeting. I wasn't going to join. I was just going to do the elevator. And by the end of it, I was on the board. So. And soon you'll be directly. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just kind of one of those things. So, so I've been doing that. I'm very happy to do that because it's so worth investing in. It's such a wonderful place. And, um, you know, I think I can do some good because I do have that background in getting money and coordinating things and organizing things. And so I thought that'll that'll work out. And it'll be also our way to contribute to the venue that's given us a new home. So it was a win-win all around. And so that's how that started. So those are my two main uh, community things um, that I'm involved in right now.
Yeah, because it's, it's a big flight of stairs to go up that side, right? That's, it really <laughs> is. It's too much, you yeah. know. And so we want to have a really good elevator. Um, and, you know, with that, what that does is it makes Arts on View, which is the name of the society, and the Hermans and that whole building, an arts hub. Yeah. So not only can you have musical performances, but you could have dance performances yeah. then. You can have arts installations. You could have something in the back room, something in the front room, you know, you could have all kinds of events. It just is got it has such potential. So that's kinda I thought it's worth investing in. Um, I love a project. You know, it's one thing I miss when I'm not working anymore is I, I miss those projects. So yeah. I thought, well, I need a project, so are you busier now than you were when you were working full-time? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because don't forget, too, when I was working, I had a daughter who was at home, so I was raising a, uh, a child and doing all that. So it was pretty busy, you know, working. And, and, and it was a lot of work when I was working. I worked long hours, and, you know, I had a lot of responsibility. You know, um, the last job I was in, I was... Uh, the director of the Canada BC labor market agreement. Mm. So I was responsible. I think it was $384 million, you know, so there was, it was, there was pressure, you know, pressure and there was, you know, but, um, but yeah, I don't know if I'm busier now or I have a big capacity for work. So it's hard to say. I feel pretty comfortable. <laughs> I like to have a lot to do. You know, I don't like to be bored. That's for sure. see that yeah that's awesome so what's your what's your next plan like so you've got basically the two things going on so you're doing the bitch fest stuff and you're doing the tournament stuff yeah um, and the blue and society, society. Blue society. And two bands and, <laughs> and two bands yeah <laughs> just a few things yeah just a few things so yeah so what's been the biggest change you've seen in your time in victoria because i think it's interesting that there's a lot of people who are new to victoria or they come here to retire or anything they didn't get to see Victoria evolve to what it is today. Mm -hmm. What's been the biggest thing you've noticed in the evolution of Victoria in your time here? Oh, boy. Um, gee, that's tough. It's just the growth, I think, generally, you know. And, of course, the, the hardest part has been prices going up and everything, you know, rental and everything. So yeah. it's been, uh, it's gotten more and more expensive to live here, the cost of living and... Yeah. So that's been a big piece of it. So. How about in the music scene? What's been the biggest change that you've seen? Um, just the fact that there aren't enough venues. Mm, yeah. So there's lots of creativity here. There's lots of talented people, but they don't have anywhere to play. Yeah. You know, it's been really tough. When we found a place, we would kind of glom onto it and, you know, fill it with music and, and all that. But things came and went. If you think about like Swans, yeah. you know, Swans was a huge music hub. It was a place to dance and everything. There's none of that anymore. It's yeah. gone. Yeah. And I found that with a lot of these places, it's, they're gone, you know. Yeah, and there was that one on that tried to start up in the last four or five years across from the old base center. What was that one called? Do you remember that one? They had the roll up door on the outside and stuff. And they just couldn't, they couldn't fill it. Oh yeah, I'm trying to think of what that was called. I'm trying to do like a dinner seating and live music, so it wasn't yeah. like a drop-in. I know exactly what you're talking about, I can't remember what it was called, but it was yeah. an, it was a great concept. Yeah. They, I think they played there once. It's on the same street as Herman's, right? It's on Douglas. Yeah, it's on Douglas. It was oh, no, right across from there. the bay. 
Yeah, the market, oh. whatever they call it, the public market, yeah. is right across from the. Public I should market. know it, and someone, someone will be saying it's such and such. And, yeah. and Logan's used to have live music. I don't know if yeah. they still do. Logan's that. is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Logan's is gone. The Tally Ho was a huge, um, you know, live music venue with yeah. a big, big room, and, and it's gone. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I guess too, as prices go up and rentals go up, it's it's in every area, so it's going to be even harder to get a big space yeah. right downtown. Yeah. For people too, right? So. I think that's one of the big challenges for live music and is is venues. You know, yeah. it's either huge, you're either in a big theater or you're in a little tiny pub that you know, yeah. and there's not many sort of performance spaces in between. Yeah. So that's been a real challenge. Um, but there's still a lot of music and a lot of bands here. And I know when we would do our blues extravaganza events, you know, we'd have 10 bands easily. And that's just picking, you know, some of them. Yeah. So there's always been a big scene here um, and a big dance scene here as well. People yeah. love to dance. The swing dance community, West Coast Swing, all that, it's big. Yeah. And when you combine, you know, the music and the dancers and everything, it really, it's really wonderful. Yeah. So that's been the... That's been the best part for me. I think it's interesting. We were just talking last night to someone about how I used to swing dance a lot. So it was over at um, Swing City with like Denny. I can't remember his last name. But he was like, he ran the whole thing. And there was like 200 people there with live bands and yeah. like everything. And it's just unheard of now. Yeah, right? yeah. And like, and, and swing is, swing dancing is one of those things in like West Coast Swing that is easier than say salsa dancing because having a 10 piece salsa band is like unheard of. <laughs> yeah. Right? In Victoria. Yeah. So, even even something like swing is just there's just not a lot of live music there's not a lot of like well, we had the salsa band for a while like it kept we played maybe three or four nights a week for a while and none of the places that we played are around anymore yeah so. that's the problem yeah that's the problem so that's been a real challenge you know you want to put on shows mid-sized shows where you know where do you go and that's why herman's upstairs was such a that's great. A great thing because yeah. it became a medium-sized venue where there was none. Yeah, and that venue has been a lot of things over the years. It like sure has. Like nightclubs. I remember it was Yuck Yucks. Yuck Yucks. Yuck Yucks, 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 right? Yuck Yucks like, put a lot of money in there, and that's where that tiering of that room occurred and everything. Yeah. And it's it's they they really uh, left a nice space for then someone to pick up and take yeah. it to the next level. So. Yeah, it's great. I I, I mean, I'm super happy here to pick that space up. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm thrilled too. We're so lucky, you know. Yeah. But uh, and what? So what's the what's what's the future for the Blues Jam stuff for you? Are you guys you're gonna do that every Sunday? I heard you're do also doing Sunday. one in Sydney now. Well, we were doing one in Sydney just once a week. Right. He actually wanted us to move the um, jam out there, uh -huh. but we just knew that you know drinking and driving and all those things. It's there's it just we just knew it wasn't gonna work every single Sunday yeah and that there'd be a big gap so we said we'll go out once a week once a month in the middle of the week and we'll try it so and then you know COVID hit and he had to <laughs> shut down it was a it's a beautiful space yeah. uh, it's called boondocks and they have a banquet room with a beautiful full-scale dance floor yeah. mm -hmm. you know and um, but he hasn't been able to open up fully yet to yeah. be able to utilize that other than for some private parties and that yeah but that would be, it's a great place, and we'd certainly, you know, consider doing it, continuing to do it. But, yeah. I mean, that's how it happened. But the, the jam here has been going 
every Sunday for, like I say, many, many, many years. What do you think you're gonna be like, we're just talking about kind of how the vo there's this void, how musically, how, with the lack of stuff, like where's that, who's gonna fill that void? How are we gonna go back to concerts if over COVID lots of venues have disappeared? It's gonna, it's gonna be a challenge, I think. It is gonna be a challenge. And one of the things, I mean, the, um, the city of Victoria launched a music strategy and within that music strategy that they launched, they have goals in it. And one of them is to try and establish some of these medium-sized venues for that's performance so and that. Great. So they're they're supportive of it. And I think they know that there's, you know, the need for that. So mm -hmm. hopefully some other places will open up. Um, meanwhile, we're going to continue to utilize everything that's out there. You know, there's quite a few performance spaces. And... Um, and then of course, uh, smaller bars and restaurants are, a lot of them are having live music, so that helps too. So there's more places for people to play. Yeah. But it was one of the reasons I got involved in doing a duo with Victor Wells was, um, it was a lot easier to find places to play as a duo. Because mm -hmm. you could be in a restaurant, you could be in a pub, you could be you know, private parties. It just sort of opened up the whole thing of, of how we could um, continue to perform. So that worked out really well. And um, so we play like all the local pubs and everything. And it's just another way to do it. And it was good for me because I had been so into the blues then for the last few years, I missed singing other types of music. Mm -hmm. And so it allowed me to do pop and rock and a little bit of jazz and all that. And, and I've even actually been working with another uh, piano player just playing jazz. Because nice. I realized I really like that too. And so we've been working up some songs and I'll probably end up doing some jazz only type nice. um, gigs down the road. So it's just something I, I guess I've always loved it, you know, so much. It's always been yeah. such a big part of my life. Um, you know, I wanted to do it as much as I could and so being versatile and mm -hmm. having bands and duels and different things you you know comes with opportunity so that's kind of how that happened. Well, I've always been inspired by you for multiple reasons oh. but one is that the community that you've created is so tight and mm -hmm. you've had so many issues over the years with losing venues and moving venues mm -hmm. and you just Right away, the venue's gone, oh well, we'll have another one for next week. And, yeah. <laughs> and I've been through the same thing with dance, so I know how hard it is to keep everything going and things like that happen, yeah. and you just seem to never have a problem making it happen, but I know how much work that takes. Yeah. And I've also been really impressed with how much you give back to the community with all the other events that you do and things you're involved with, because I have a day job and then dance, and I feel like I don't have time to do anything mm. else. I have no idea how you do all the things <laughs> you do. Well, I don't have a day job anymore. <laughs> that helped. But you used to. I did. I used to. And I don't know how you. I don't know how you do it. Probably didn't have much of a life other than that. <laughs> that was the problem. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just you know interest. You know, I'm just very interested in it. And um, as I said, just a, a big capacity to for work, I like doing it, you know, I like to be really busy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, pro you know, having a project, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so, um, yeah, it was just attractive to me, I'm just going to keep, keep doing it, you know, keep, you know, do something a little different and see what we can do, you know, and 
but um, you know I got involved in things um, years and years ago sort of the way I feel about it is, is if I see something and I think I can fix it I want to go fix it mm -hmm. so there was no out-of-school care at my daughter's school and I was a single mom I needed you know I needed uh, uh, daycare you know so that was an example so I said well you know they were building a new school at Sir James Douglas school and they said that um, there was an opportunity to build a daycare right into a brand new school so because I'd been working in funding programs all those years and that I kind of knew how to do that so I thought there was a BC 21 grant initiative and I said oh I think I'm gonna get a BC 21 grant and I'm gonna uh, open a daycare at the school so sometimes I was driven by my own issues you know and what I needed the community to do for me and then I would just get involved in it and start you know figuring out how to get the money and get it to happen so often it was driven by uh, things that I saw were missing you know and that was one of them and of course it benefited me because without that security with my daughter to have a safe place to go and that nothing could happen mm -hmm. and so you know it meant a lot to me so much that I got involved in, ch in child care and um, eventually I started applying for jobs that were related to child care, build, building daycare centers and that. And I became the director of child care for um, BC and that's what I did. I built daycare centers and funded daycares and I got very involved in it, you know. And, and then I went back to employment programs and then did that for, you know, so it sort of went back and forth over the years. Um, and that's kind of how, you know, how, how I got, would, you know, take the steps to get something done. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always found that there's a great uh, capacity in the community with people that we know to get things done. There's people are very giving and kind and they're always happy to work on things and help out and yeah. and so um, I always you know it all nothing is achievable without a wonderful team of people around you you know to do stuff so we always would put s some great people together just to get stuff done and there's all kinds of as you know wonderful people in this city that will work hard for a goal and uh, make something happen yeah. Well, and you're good at gathering all of those people together behind the cause. Yeah, well, I think, too, being here my whole life, you know, I know, know a lot of people or can make a lot of connections. And, uh, and the other thing is our blues community in particular are some of the most loving, wonderful people you'd ever want to meet. And they get all credit for making all that happen mm -hmm. and coming together. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful thing for all of us. And... We're, we are, as you said, we're very tight, you know, we care and love for, you know, each other very much. And so it's a wonderful community. It's not hard to keep it going and to find people who want to be part of that. And we have a lot of fun, as you know. <laughs> so. you think being rooted in the blues, that everyone would be sad and yeah. angry. <laughs> yeah. Like the exact opposite. Yeah. Well, like someone said the blues is is about that but it's also about getting through things and yeah. and rising up and you know you know when it came from the the um, 
cotton fields and back in the day in Mississippi, that's what it was all about. And so it's as much about sadness as it is about new beginnings and joy and, you know, all of those things. And when I realized that, that's when, you know, everything changed for me. It was a game changer. I had no appreciation for that until I went to the States and really experienced that firsthand and looked at the history and how fundamental it was. And I think you'll notice that um, lots of people, lots of Aboriginal people love the blues, for example, because they can relate. They can absolutely relate to that, um, the pain and the sorrow part and the the dealing with adversity and all those things. So it really, um, and again, we just became a stronger community because of that. And, uh, and yeah, I think it's pretty special. I, um, you know, it's certainly mattered a lot to me. And I think those, I think very highly of all those people and everything that they've been able to, to do as a group. So here we are, I don't know, we became a society in 2007, so here we are that many more years later and we're still going strong and there's still lots of interest in people who want to hear the music and um, with the uh, Maple Blues, um, Canadian Maple Blues Awards and all of that and Toronto taking the lead, the Toronto Blues Society, there's been a strong blues uh, community, you know, throughout Canada, so. When you... That, how old were you when you took that trip to the U.S.? Because that sounds like a pretty, like, fundamental moment. So it was, uh, so I was 40. I was 40 years old. It was a big, it was a big thing because I was just getting into it. And um, No Fixed Address, the band was just kind of starting out. And it was, it was a real, it was a real big deal. And I didn't know a lot, you know, then. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know very much. And then, of course, I started going on blues cruises, and I did five of those. So I was with everyone from um, Etta James to, you know, and they're on a boat. They're not leaving. They're with you for seven days. They can't get away from you. So if you want to sit down, talk to Etta James, you sit down and you talk to Etta James. You know, there was Ike Turner. There was, I, could, I mean, I could go on and on. Irma Thomas, like, blues people that were my heroes, you know. And you could go off for seven days in a boat to the Caribbean or whatever and do nothing but that all day, every day and night. And again, it made a, it made a big difference, you know. Um, so, you know, each level that I got deeper into blues music, the more I appreciated it and the more I understood what it meant. And, and there were just, I can think of different times I remember doing, a, going to a, gospel brunch on you know out in the middle of the Caribbean or something and and someone getting up on stage and singing or whatever and I and I was just like <gasps> like it was almost like this is a religious moment like oh my god like I don't, I'm 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 you know I'm overstimulated like this is just too much to see this it was just so powerful and so wonderful so um yeah it was each of those things contributed to loving it more and more and more so yeah so, so music is emotional, right? Yeah. Like, very much so. And I think as much as it's emotional, it's also cultural. Mm-hmm. So you, how did that change, that kind of identification with what that music and what was going on, that there must have been a bit of an identification with the culture of that music mm-hmm. for you. Absolutely. And then coming back from that, how did that change you? Like if you look back, because when we have those moments where we're mm-hmm. impacted by music, 
not only it's not just that we do get into the music and get into the culture but we change so what was that big change for you well that was the the big change was was um well of course the first change was in the 90s then when i started to sing blues music because i didn't even know a blues song i seriously didn't i was a rock singer you know i had no idea that was the big change and then the other big change was of course on the cruise and deciding to start the blues society and then after that, it was just gangbusters because then I just never looked back. I've been the chair all these years. I wish someone else would take it on, but they haven't. And I've been doing it all these years and just keep trying to push us forward um, doing that. So that, that was a big, big change because with the society, having a nonprofit structure, you know, having uh, meetings and plans and people to work as a team on putting on shows, well, then it took, it just went to a whole nother level, right? Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, I love it. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing, and I love the blues. I got to know more and more about it as I became educated. I'm not like Dave Harris educated, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I love it. And, uh, and it's meaningful to me. And I have to say, when I sing some of these songs that I've written and whatever, and they have that emotion in it, it, it's like it's like getting it off my chest, you know. I after, when I after I sing one of those songs, I just I feel like, oh yeah, that feels good, you know, to say it. You know, it's like it's a way to safely get out your angst, mm -hmm. you know. So when I had you know uh, angst or whatever, I would sing, right, and I would just put everything into that as deep as I could go with it, and then put it out there. And I still feel that way. Well, one of the things I've asked everyone, and I've been doing this since Big Courtney started in like 2011, um, maybe 12, but if, if the whole world, if you knew the whole world was listening to you, and not only listening, but they would take in what you're about to say to them, what would you tell them? Like, what would you want the world to know? Oof, that is really tough. Can I go away for like 10 days? <laughs> Come back with an answer? What would I want the world to know? Oh, that's really tough. Um, that's, that's so tough. The only thing I can think of is that music is healing and music is, brings people together and music, you know, is, um, you know, brings joy and, you know, that would be the thing. It's just, you know, how, how much music can, um, bring us together and 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 uh, give us joy, you know. Mm. You know, there isn't anybody who doesn't listen to an old song. You have your old favorite song, and it brings you right back to you know that certain guy or a certain person or a certain place or a memory. Like you said, you both have traveled a lot. You probably have a song that you say, "Oh yeah," when I hear you know Van Morrison do this song, that takes me right back to. And that's the beauty of it, is it's emotional. It makes you feel sometimes really, really sad or sometimes really, really happy, you know. Um, uh, even to this day, it's, it's such a big part of my life, certain artists and certain songs, and, you know, uh, it's given me more joy than anything else, that's for sure. So I just, that's the big thing about music is, there's something for everybody. You can find, there's a song, you can hear a lyric, it's going to resonate with you and it's going to 
make you feel emotional. And I think that's incredibly powerful, you know.